I think the number one piece of advice is don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Um, sharing the moments where you feel upset um, or you just don't feel joy. You know, it's sometimes it's really hard to even identify what it is that you're feeling, but you know, it doesn't feel right. Those gut instincts, they're telling you something. And I think people have the tendency to ignore them because they they're perceived as being weak or not strong. Um, but those feelings are really important and they say a lot about how you're, who you are, why you, why you feel the way you feel. And they're always valid. Um, and I think that that's, that's really important. Hello, my friends. I'm your host, Victor Rampadrat. Welcome to the show where we share the lived experiences of ordinary people just like you. We're amplifying your voice to provide a different perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our goal is simple, humanize DEI so we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect. Our next guest works in a male-dominated industry but has risen through the ranks to become an operations manager at a large construction management firm in the U.S. Recently being featured in a New York real estate journal spotlighting women in the building services industry. A child of two immigrants from the Dominican Republic, she repressed many microaggressions and traumas in order to survive and thrive in a society that made it difficult. I met her husband last year through a mutual friend, and when I was launching the show, I asked if she'd come on and share her lived experiences for our guests to better understand the trauma experienced by the Latinx community. I'm excited for a candid conversation with this no BS lady. Gabriella, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing really well. I'm enjoying a beautiful day here in New Jersey. It looks beautiful. I tell you, in Canada, it's, uh, I don't know what the um, conversion is, but it's 18 degrees Celsius. So it's a little bit cool for July, August. Yeah. Um, but it's about the know, same. It's about the same here. We had it's a really about the same. warm last night. So it's like 80 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like a really nice, cool day. Yes. yes it's a cool day. It's definitely not global warming. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> a have. whole other conversation, <laughs> absolutely. So, yes. listen, t tell me what it was like being born in the Dominican Republic and then growing up in New Jersey. Sure. So, um, we moved to the United States while I was really young. I was like nine months old. So, the experiences I have, you know, before that age are, are just the memories I see via like videos and recordings and things like that. Um, but when we moved to the U.S., my parents uh, moved to Patterson, New Jersey. Um, it's in Bergen County, but it's a pretty like lower to like lower middle class um, type neighborhood. Uh, we moved in with family. So we lived on the third floor of a three family home. Um, and that was because we really they didn't know anybody else. Um, a lot of family at the time had started moving, but we were one of the first um, to make make the full time move. Um, the community was extremely diverse. A lot of other Latinx communities um, 
had moved in there, but there were definitely other Asian um, communities represented as well. Um, so when my during my time there, like I, you know, I fit in with a lot of other kids, and and our shared experiences, I think, were very very similar. So um, you know, it felt familiar. It felt normal. Um, the relationship between parents, between children, between teachers and children um, were all very, very similar. Um, it wasn't until we moved to Farallon, which is more middle class, upper middle class even, um, and white, that things started to really shift for me. I started to stand out a little more. Um, I knew I was different. I knew my home was different. My life was just very different from other people. So, um, and it wasn't necessarily bad. I don't think I was aware of what all those differences meant. I think I took a lot of it on as a personal thing as opposed to like a community um, or a family, you know, coming from a certain place. Um, but it was more or less fun. Um, when more of my family did end up coming, we all moved, we were all always very close in proximity. Um, so we all, we got together very frequently. You know, my cousins were my best friends. I often, um, for when going to like big parties at school, um, with school friends to go hang out with my family. Um, so we were very close and, supported each other really. Uh, when I look back, you know, they, my parents worked really, really hard to set up the life that we have now. Um, and it wasn't without the help of my family, like being really close that we could have, we could have done that. And I couldn't, I wouldn't be where I am today without that network and that support. So, um, you know, it was looking back, it was, there's so much, from that time that, you know, I'm still learning about what it meant, how it's made me who I am. But for the most part, it's been really, it's been positive. And like, looking back, my memories are mostly good and fun and like filled with joy. Um, but it was definitely difficult. And I think I'm dealing with the difficulties now as an adult, as I try to pave my own way in the world. I've realized like how my decision-making process has, you know, come from that part of my life. Um, you know, trying to make friends <laughs> these days yeah. is tough. And like that whole process, I think you learn when you're a kid trying to make friends too. So um, I don't know, extremely informative, but honestly not until now as an adult that I've really started to look back. Um, it's it. interesting because as you start to look back is when you get to, you know, look at context as to how you've become the individual that you are today. And exactly. one of the things that you mentioned was belonging and then moving to a place where you no longer felt you belonged yeah. and you stood out. And how did that make you feel when you were no longer one of everyone else? Like you didn't just look like everyone else. How did that make you feel? I mean, my immediate response was to fit in. I, I knew I didn't, you know, just like on my own, how I, you know, when I first got there and like, 
as I was, but I immediately tried to do everything physically, I think, that I could to, to change, you know, my clothes, my style, how I did my hair, like stuff like that. Um, the music I listened to, um, the shows we were watching, all that kind of stuff, I immediately tried to fit in immediately. And I struggled. I struggled a lot. You know, like I look back at photos and my family and close friends now, we laugh at like the different phases that I went through in my appearance. And it's really just all symbolic of like what I was struggling to identify as, as a young, as a young kid. Um, Do you I, feel that still now as an adult that I feel like, like I don't need as much of the external to feel like I belong. It's much more interpersonal um, talking with people, like sharing our experiences. And like, even if it's totally different, just knowing that people have shared the same feelings um, has meant a lot more to me than do you wear hoop earrings? Cause I wear hoop earrings <laughs> kind of. Kind of you know. Do do you feel that sometimes that you you abandon or you felt like you abandoned some of your roots to your culture? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and some of that was inflicted by accident. Um, you know, I so Spanish was my first language, but then we immediately went to school. Uh, you know, I started going to school at age two because I needed to learn English first to kind of catch up. Um, and then beyond that, like I never went back to Spanish being my primary language, um, even though it was the it was the dominant language spoken in my household. My parents wanted my sister and I to keep speaking English because that was how they were going to learn, too. So we were like tools really for them um, and vehicles to practice. And slowly we just started speaking less and less. I still speak it to this day because I have a lot of family in Dominican Republic that does not speak English well, but in mo for the most part, English is the dominant language in my life. Um, and I felt like that was kind of forced on me. Um, even in school, I experienced this like weird dichotomy where at home, what the Spanish I was learning in school was not the Spanish dialect that my family was speaking and I was being spoken to at home. And then when I would go speak that language in school, it wasn't the proper Spanish, you know, from Spain or whatever that they were teaching us. So then I just like, well, I can't win because I go home and I'm wrong. I go to school and I'm wrong. So I'm just not going to speak it at all. I'm just going to stick to English. Um, wow. So that's just an example, you know, of one part of that experience that I felt like it was just lose lose. So I just gave up on it. You all. just gave up. Y yeah. You mentioned something that is 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 commonplace within a lot of ethnic communities, which is your hair, right? Yeah. People do different things to their hair to sort of fit in. Um, I've got friends from various backgrounds, and and the hair product that people use to just sort of like relax their hair, make it less curly, whatever the case may be. Like, is that something that you found um, help you fit in? And how did that make you feel in terms of having to shift who you were as an individual to, to kind of fit into this society around you? 
Yeah, it's something I'm still struggling with as far as like having that conversation with older adults in my family, in particular, like my mom, like she's still unwrapping like what that has meant for me as an adult. Um, But very early on, I was told that curly hair is ugly. It's um, not classy. It's not glamorous. So any event or any holiday or, you know, anything major like that, I always had to straighten my hair. Um, You know, and even playing sports and sweating, my hair is curly. Um, I always had to like cover it up. I couldn't like let my curly hair show sometimes. Like there were environments and settings where it was appropriate and where it wasn't and you know it's again not until now as an adult that I'm just like I am letting my curly hair shine because I should feel no shame about where this hair comes from and it comes from my African roots uh, you know and the native cultures in my country so um and And I talk a lot more about it because I don't think, again, that was something my friends growing up, that was never a conversation for them ever between parents, between friends. And, um, you know, now that they're seeing my curly hair a lot more, they're like, wow, your curly hair is so great. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm really trying to live it up. <laughs> well, you know, and it's funny that you mentioned that because it's never a decision for other people, whereas it was a conversation, it was a thought process, it was something that you had to manage internally oh, yeah. in terms of like uh, other people's opinions, your own opinion. And, you know, people don't realize the psychological trauma that that can create for a young person trying to fit in society and find their way and who they are authentically themselves and sort of like masking themselves to sort of fit yeah. in and 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 you shared something with me in a private conversation um around uh, you know last year the incident with George Floyd and how it affected you uh you had people reach out to you from from university and school and friends and um it it really sent you on a journey of self discovery and and to do a deep dive on on you as an individual do you want to maybe share with us what that was like for yourself sure so um i had been i had been going through a personal journey with a therapist even before that but we had never really touched on identity um belonging was something that i had discussed with her but we didn't really go and we hadn't gotten to it yet and so when um george floyd was murdered and it was all over the TV and there was so many discussions about Black Lives Matter, not that it hadn't happened before because that movement had very much been alive before that, but there was so much more conversation, more robust. Um, I was hearing it from all corners of my life versus just like from my friends, like it has now reached the workplace and, you know, other, other areas. So, um, there was also a parallel conversation happening in circles that I had seen on my social media feed amongst um, the Latinx community. And 
the colorism that exists there as well. And then even, even more detailed was the conversation in Dominican Republic about Haitians and why, why black Dominicans have so much hate and white Dominicans, all, all Dominicans have so much hate towards Haiti and the people of Haiti and like where that comes from. It's something that I just learned by default and I never really questioned. Um, but also like the colorism that exists in my own family. Like I'm pretty olive, but like I'm, I'm pretty white as far as, you know, the spectrum goes. But my grandfather is black and he refuses to identify as black. Um, so there were so many conversations we were trying to have and people just kept pushing back. Um, they were getting offended and I just like, didn't understand it. Um, and so I bought all the books. I just started reading up on the history of the two nations. And like, I knew the basics, but I didn't really understand the involvement and how imperialism from the United States and colonialism from Spain and France and like how all those forces had informed the narrative that we are now continuing to share um, about, you know, Blacks and Dominicans. And um, I learned so much <laughs> and it's still, there's still so much work to do. Um, it's never, that journey is never gonna be over for me but I feel just so much more comfortable about myself knowing the history and that again, just like it is in the US, it was systemic. It wasn't like someone just made a choice or it was a personal attack. Like the system was built that way. And so now it's just a matter of unlearning all of those facts, all of those stories that were just pushed upon us um, as a people. and doing better for the next, you know, the next generation of Dominicans and, you know, not, not continuing to propel the stories that divide us. Um, so it's I been I literally have chills and goosebumps <laughs> happening right now because you did what I hope more people do is just not take the narrative and accept you yeah. started to look at the information you were provided and ask yourself, does this make sense? And if it doesn't, where do I get context on the situation? And yeah. you did the work. And, and that's just something I absolutely wish for everyone to do, to take what you did and have that happen in their own life. And it's an, a never-ending journey. Like you said, it's something that you're constantly evolving as you move through it. There was an incident you had mentioned, and I don't even know it, uh, with a a classmate uh, or, or someone from university. Um, I wanted to ask you the last time, so I'm going to ask you on the show, what exactly sure. transpired and, and how did that shape your thinking? So, I mean, throughout the pandemic, um, I feel like there was a lot more outreach with everyone. You know, you were constantly checking in with friends, with family, you know, how are you doing? Is anything changed for you? Is there something I can do to help? Um, but when uh, the George Floyd and all of the protests and things started erupting, I kept, I was getting a lot more from 
people that I don't hear from on a, like on a regular basis, like, you know, not weekly, but maybe like once every other month or so. Um, so I just started to really think, but there was one text from one of my best friends from college, but it was, this was never a topic we have ever talked about. So it caught me off guard, but the text had said, you know, how are you doing with all of this? Um, you know, I think back to a moment in college where we were at a party and someone had asked you about your, like where you were from, um, because you confused them based on my last name, how I looked at the time. And she said that I was just like, like, I just answered it. Like it was a question I get all the time. And then I just turned around and I just kept walking. And I was like, I don't recall this memory at all. Um, and there have been other, other times when people have raised that question to me or have just straight up asked me like, oh, you're Dominican or are you black? Um, and like, I've never really thought about it, but she said that she was so surprised because she wasn't, she wasn't sure at the time how I was going to answer. She's like, I was offended for you that someone would even ask that. And I, again, I don't really remember what the setting was, but she felt it was really inappropriate at the time. Um, and I just didn't remember. And I was like, wow, I don't even know how many more of these experiences I have blocked from my memory because they were just too harmful um, at the time. And it, I just started going down the spiral of trying to think about other experiences. Um, and it kind of scared me um, to think about how quickly someone else was to pick up on a microaggression like that. And I completely disregarded it and pushed it out of my memory. Definitely. Um, and it, and I don't mean to cut you. I apologize. Oh. Um, but it was just, I've noticed this as well, where being of color you have certain instances that they happen so frequently that they almost, you become numb to them in a way versus someone who's never experienced that. They it's, it stands out because to this individual, your, your friend, she remembered that years later, but for you, for the life of you, you could not pull the memory of that very, what she articulated a real incident that she has kept with her for time. Right. So right. I don't even I, I can't even imagine what that would look like. And I can appreciate how that could be something that is very scary. Yeah. You know, you, you speak so openly and honestly about mental health and trauma experienced and microaggressions. You know, what would you share with our audience who might be struggling with some identity issues or microaggressions or any of these things? How would you? maybe share with them some information on how they can capture their own well-being and ensure that they themselves are good. I think the number one piece of advice is don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Um, 
sharing the moments where you feel upset um, or you just don't feel joy. You know, it's sometimes it's really hard to even identify what it is that you're feeling, but you know, it doesn't feel right. Those gut instincts, they're telling you something. And I think people have the tendency to ignore them because they they're perceived as being weak or not strong. Um, but those feelings are really important and they say a lot about how you're, who you are, why you, why you feel the way you feel. And they're always valid. Um, and I think that that's, that's really important. I've learned a lot, especially over the past, you know, year, year and a half with, with COVID that being vulnerable with other people and sharing, um, even if, even if it doesn't return what you're expecting often provides really rewarding conversations and experiences with people. Um, and you learn a lot about your friends, your family, um, and yourself. And it wasn't until I started being vulnerable um, more openly that all of these experiences and lessons about myself really came to light. So, you know, I'm not saying you need a therapist, even though I highly recommend it for everyone. I realize that's not a privilege that everyone has. Um, just talking to your close circle can offer some of the same benefits. Um, but that requires being extremely honest and open and transparent and not just sharing what you think is valid, but the whole, the whole story. Um, because someone else is going to find that one detail and that's going to change the entire message um, or your perspective. And I think, I think that's really, really important. I'm so inspired by your vulnerability. And I think when we can get to a place of being vulnerable and having those tough conversations is when um, we can actually start to see some change and, and start celebrating differences and respecting other individuals for where they're coming from based on their lived experience. You know, one of the things you talked about earlier was around um, these conversations reaching because it seems like in your friend group or your network and family support system, you've had these dialogues, but for the first time they started to reach into the workplace where, you know, these conversations wouldn't typically be had. What was it like? Um, Cause you work for a very large firm with multiple offices across the U S what was it like to experience that for the first time in the workplace? Scary. Um, again, because I was, my experience at not just this company, but pa uh, my past companies in college, studying this track and line, line of work, we've females and then Latin females um, have been a very minority group in the construction industry. So, um, I, it, it's just so, it's so scary because it's like, it, you're the first, it feels like you're the first every time you walk into the room. Um, granted the numbers are getting better. Um, you know, over the past year, the conversations that we've been having, 
I think I'm no longer afraid to be the first person to talk. Um, I think when I first started out, I definitely was more intimidated. But now I also feel a sense of responsibility for the younger generations coming. I mean, I've been working almost 10 years already. So I don't, you know, even though I feel like I'm in my early 20s, um, I'm definitely not. Like I'm already someone who's seasoned. So I feel like I need to lead by example um, now, which is a different set of fears that I have. Um, But it's still really hard because you don't, there's always new people in the room, other perspectives, and you never know how it's going to be received. But I think I just have a new sense of confidence and um, like validation from myself and other, you know, closer um, confidence that like, I'm not going to react anymore to someone else's response to my stories as, as I may have in the past. Um, it, my experience is valid. And even if you can't relate or you don't agree with whatever perspective it is I'm sharing about, it's not going to affect me anymore. So I'm just sharing it because maybe that'll give someone else the confidence to share their story or maybe someone else does relate and I've just made them feel a little bit more comfortable. I think for me now it's about the next, the next group. Like how can I help them not feel the things that I may have felt earlier on, you know, in my education and my career um, so that they can get there faster, you know, and not wait until they're into their adulthood to feel confident or, you know, practice the things that we're talking about and doing the work. And that right there, folks, is exactly why I had to have her on the show, because (laughs) it's exactly what we're here to do is to provide that space to allow those lived experiences to come out. Even if it's not your experience, you did not walk a mile in her shoes. You can appreciate where she's coming from based on her very real visceral lived experience. You touched on something around uh, that I always talk about is intent versus impact, right? So your intent is you have these great intentions to want to help, to lead by example, but you never know how it's going to impact other people on the room, and which then can cause or spark a reaction that then causes or spark a reaction in yourself, which it gets very emotional. We were actually just talking about that this morning. How have you found in these very emotional experiences to be level-headed when people are coming at you with what sometimes feels like an attack, a personal attack. Right. Um, So one of the first things I learned in my therapy journey was that people's reactions is about them. It's never about you. Something that you said triggered something going on for them. Um, And so you have to temper your response accordingly. Not to say that, you know, Every action isn't warranted sometimes. Sometimes it comes out of left field and it's unfair. Um, but you know, you can always you can always tailor your response. And I think I've just I've just learned that through seeing it play out in myself and you know, it just it just it's gonna happen. Um, and it just doesn't bother me anymore. I don't 
I don't react to it. And it's also like there's a there's a specific different uh, distance with people at work that I think most people try to keep. Um, of course, you always have your like your close colleagues and friends, but for the most part, not everyone knows everything about everyone. So I think it's just bringing that that, you know, um, to the conversations and for the most part, if you have good intentions, um, you really are trying to have inclusive conversations, non-judgmental conversations. Um, I think you'll see less and less of the reactions, the negative reactions that you might get. Um, most of the people participating in these conversations come with an open mind, knowing that someone might say something that they don't necessarily agree with, but are willing to listen to anyway. It's typically the people that you don't see participating that you have to worry about, but that almost never plays out in a, you know, in a forum, like a conversation or a round table or anything like that. So it's like, that's a whole other set of challenges um, that that brings. So. Definitely. And I'm going to use a stereotype here just because I know it and I've lived it is that the hoop earrings don't come off, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Oh my goodness. Well, listen, you know, that, that, that is so real and such great advice. And I think that, you know, for people out there, really what we're hearing is, is, is engaging in these conversations with open minds, right. And, and allowing, other people to have space to share that with you and allowing you to take that as a reference point, if you will, as to how other people are moving through the world. You know, being in the the construction industry is a, you know, my father worked in that industry. It is very male dominated in some respects. There's a lot of chauvinism that shows up in the workplace have you ever, um, and you don't have to name names, you don't have to do anything, but have you experienced that yourself in terms of like how you are perceived in certain rooms? Um, because, you know, you're not a low level employee or entry level, I should say, employee. You you are in management. And, you know, sometimes those behaviors from people who have been around the industry for a long time, it's difficult for them to change. How have you experienced that? And what's been your response or reaction to that? So um, I think earlier on, especially when I was a project manager and I was more involved on at the project level, so on, on job sites where there were a lot more people around, um, it happened way more often um, and it was very direct. You know, I would get comments, like people just asking who I am and they're like, oh, she's the, she's the project manager. And someone would say like, can she even lift X, Y, Z? Has she ever touched a hammer before? Um, silly things like that. Um, I never responded. And I think before it was because I didn't know how to. Um, I was afraid of being emotional and saying the wrong thing. So I just never said anything at all. Um, now it's, I'm just not even going to waste my time because I deserve to be where I am and nothing you could say is going to change that. Like the people who have held me up and supported me and pushed me 
to where I am today know that I work really hard and I deserve to be here. So I'm not really worried about your lack of confidence and your intimidation by me. Um, now in my role now where I'm more internal and, you know, more, um, executive level facing sometimes my fears are around, it's just like not, not being good enough. Um, and that I think comes from this, the industry is really all about experience. Um, you could have all of the education, you could have all of the certifications, but if you physically have never done it, it almost doesn't matter. And so give it, you know, because I am so green still by, you know, definition of this, by the standards set by this industry, um, that is something that I feel like comes that it's going to take time. And so when people do give me accolades, I'm just like, I feel like I don't deserve it because I haven't been doing this for very long. So like I may be good at what I do, but there's definitely people who are been doing it for much longer, maybe. Um, but nobody, nobody ever says anything bad anymore. So, you know, I think having, having the right support really matters. Um, so my, my boss is a male, a white male <laughs> in this industry. And he knows how important it is to go above and beyond to support me in a room. And I think, um, I think that really matters. So finding the right partners, the right sponsors, um, the right mentors, um, they're really gonna support you even when you're not feeling hundred percent yourself i'm encouraged i'm encouraged by the road ahead i know that you say you still feel green even though you've been in the industry for 10 years plus but i'm encouraged with what you will do for the industry in another 10 years because people with your voice your determination your work ethic and understanding the alignment required to move the needle um is what we really need in this uh, fight for equality um, and and for inclusivity. So just keep pushing, keep pushing and know that, you know, um, we're here supporting you and rooting for you because it's, it's necessary. The more champions that are out there preaching this message, the better it is for everyone involved. Um, you speak, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm I'm literally choked up because as I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm I'm just thinking to myself like, man, would I ever want my daughter to be this confident and this vulnerable and have this kind of empathy and compassion for other people and understanding? It's just it's truly amazing. No, you know that means a lot to me. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, being in the construction industry, you know, tell me your thoughts and opinions on equity for women and other minorities and how it can be improved in this very male dominated industry? So, um, I think it all starts 
again, with having more of an open mind. Um, I think in the past, the, the industry had favored people with, again, who had grown up with some kind of experience in construction, whether that was a family member that worked there or they got their hands dirty helping someone out um, or they themselves are very handy and they like to do projects, you know, around the house or whatnot. Um, I think that experience favors males. Um, and so when they then go to school or not, um, or go into trades, they already have that. And, it, and that is just like any other form of privilege. Um, and I, I think we need to like, forget, forget that, um, when we're considering candidates, whether, uh, you know, for school and undergraduate and professional, um, because it just doesn't say anything about people's potential anymore. And we all have to give people that blank slate at the beginning. Um, and I think that's true. I think you could say that for any, any, anything. And I know that the, our cult, our society places a lot of value on internships and experience, but like really what experience does anyone have before, you know, high school, if that's where you started or college, if that's where you're starting from, like, were people paying attention? Do they remember, you know, were they just getting coffee? Like it's all just ink on paper, a lot, even like there's fibs in resumes all the time. You know, I just like, let's just, let's think about who people can become and like what their goals are and coaching and education. And like, where is that opportunity? Like, that's what I want to focus on. Um, I think for women in particular, there has to be more accommodations made for the things that they want out of their life. We never have to consider that males are gonna take a break at some point um, and females, that's like a constant conversation that's happening. And I think we need to get away from that. Um, I mean, there's like this boys club environment also, and this like camaraderie. Um, I think those, those need to be a lot more inclusive. Um, and I, you know, open, I, I feel like there's openness that needs to happen, like calling things out when you see them. There's so much, there's so much that can be done still. But I think it all starts with having an open mind, people being honest, people being vulnerable and letting people know when they feel uncomfortable or things aren't don't seem right. Um, and then the company and the industry has to have the will and the support to be able to do something with, you know, what people are saying, um, whether they want change or. Um, they need financial support, you know, like people have to step 
up to the plate and put their money where their mouth is at some point, um, saying uh, that they feel the industry should be in a certain place or they want to support certain groups of people or organizations like, okay, well, there's ways you can do that. Not just saying you want to do it. So there's a lot, there's a lot to, to still be done, but um, for the most part, I think companies are taking a step in the right direction with just at least having conversations now, because we didn't have that knowledge before. Like I'm talking from my perspective, like even two years ago, we didn't know about people's experiences. And now that we know, there's like, oh, we're uncovering a lot. And so there's a lot of work to be done. You know, and it's interesting, uh, a lot of companies, you know, I've, I've been asked as, uh, this is new for me, discourse and, and what we're trying to accomplish and, and moving the needle in, in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And, uh, for a lot of companies, you know, they ask, what is the business case of diversity? Because the the corporations or the businesses are, are meant to make profit. They're providing a valuable product or service to their marketplace. They're being paid in kind for that. But never do we think about the people that make that happen and what are they dealing with internally. And, you know, you have these ERGs and support systems, but, you know, around diversity and inclusion are people's having a a seat at the table and b allowing their voices to be heard and then what most people don't realize is once their voices are heard we are looking for how that actually plays out in the days and weeks and months and years to come because right. there's a lot of people who have made commitments to diversity but that's all they are are commitments you mentioned a few times on this this recording that we're talking about doing the work. Yeah. What does doing the work mean to you? I mean, it it is putting your words into actions, um, being the change that you want to see. Um, there's so much that that goes into it, but it go it's it's just everything beyond setting the goals and intentions. That's what it is. For me, like you want to be a certain person, how are you going to get there? You want to hit certain goals, how are you going to get there? Like, and then doing the work is taking those steps that you're saying, um, and holding others accountable. That is, that's the work, and I think that's that's kind of the middle of where everyone is right now. There's still defining what that means for them. Um, companies are trying to figure out how to achieve the, the goals that they're setting out. Um, you know, and obviously there are constraints. I don't think anybody's saying that there's unlimited funds. No, 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 no. But, um, or people or resources. There's so, there's so many things, but that, I think that's the work that people are doing right now um figuring out how to get there and then you know in a year you know two years three years that's when we'll see the results of people setting out to do the things that they want to accomplish it takes time for sure and i think that's the one thing that people i would encourage to uh 
temper your expectations in terms of the results because it does take time. These very big shifts in your organization, as long as you're seeing the work being done, it'll take time because when you're moving a ship in an ocean, just one degree, that takes a lot of time. And when we're talking about taking traditional industries who are dominated by certain cultures or races or ethnicities, it takes time. But that commitment backed up by the action is where we really want it to to go. And it seems like your organization is doing a great job at that. I've taken a look at everything that I've seen and, and some of the things that you said and that you've put in place and you're inspired by what's happening there. And I really... I'm thankful that people like yourself are a part of the conversations and the dialogues because that is what needs to happen. I've got a curiosity question because this is always something that uh, I find to be interesting. Like you said earlier, you are olive skin, but kind of towards more of the Caucasian side. Do you ever feel like you are not included in some conversations around diversity because you're not dark enough? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's, um, I, I do feel, um, like that's been my experience, not just with race and the color of my skin, but a lot of other groups of people. Um, and again, it just comes back to like having conversations being open, like I needed to tell people that like, I identify as black. So when you're talking about black people, like I wanna be included because that's something that means a lot to me. Um, And it may not look like it, but I do. So I command that respect because like, that's just, that's part of who I am. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been, it's been really hard. Cause you're also like, people just want to label you as, I don't know, just like trying to be, be all the things. I don't, I don't even know what the word is, but, um, I don't, I don't know what it is. It, what it is. It's comp it's complex. Right. And I think that that's where people, you know, we respect people's right to choose their gender identity, um, you know, at the same time where you have black ancestry, you are clearly of a darker skin tone. People pigeonhole you into a box, but at the same time, you want to be included in the conversations because not only is it personal to you, but it's also, as you mentioned in your leadership, important for the next generation. So you're not just thinking about yourself. You're thinking about other women who are coming through your industry that will be affected by the things that you were affected by and are now, you know, obviously seeking support outside of just work related, but like the whole identity aspect, right? So about respecting people. Thank you for, for being so vulnerable and honest. We ask everyone this question and I'm really interested to hear um, your take is how do you think as a society, we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect? I mean, I think, I think it all just comes down to understanding that we all want that feeling of belonging. Um, It's a human need um, and every human is in search of it. So with that 
understanding I think we need to be more vulnerable with others. That includes strangers sometimes. Um, I think we need to let go of a lot. I think we have to unlearn a lot um, through history, um, you know, what we've been told and like do like relearn it ourselves, like do your own research, use your experiences, what you've heard from others um, and form new opinions. Um, and that's a cycle. I, I don't, I don't think that it stops and it don't, I don't think it only happens once. I think you, you know, you have some experiences, you form an opinion or you have a, you know, you make a judgment call and then at some point that's going to get disrupted. And then you have to, you have to reevaluate again, based on all the new things that have happened or the new stories you've been told, the new information you've gathered, and then you continue. And like that constant improvement and evolution, that's going to get us to a better place. But I think everybody has to take it upon themselves to be more open, be more transparent, willing to listen, like really listen to other people and the stories that they're trying to tell. Um, and that'll make us a better race in my mind. I love that. The human race. Yeah. Gabriella, thank you so much. Where can people find you? So um, I'm not super active on social media. That's a boundary I, I've created for myself. Um, but I am on Instagram. My handle is at Gabby LaChapelle, G-A-B-I-L-A-C-H-A-P-E-L. Um, I do have a Twitter, but I do not tweet. <laughs> it's more free. Um, it's mostly like angry tweets, at, like as a customer, as a consumer, <laughs> angry rants at like United Airlines and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Oh, I got Twitter for that <laughs> same reason, because I realized that they would actually respond to customers there. Yes, exactly. So probably not worth a follow on Twitter. <laughs> handle anyway there too. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. And there you have it, folks. The truth, according to Gabriella LaChapelle O'Brien. Thank, thank you for you being so a guest much. on our show. Appreciate Thanks you. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. Our show is sponsored by Discourse. We build belonging into the DNA of DEI. You can visit us on the web at discourseagency.com or check out our YouTube channel, Discourse Agency. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave a review, drop a comment, and most importantly, share it with a fellow human. Thank you so much for your support. And remember, your truth is your experience. Bye for now.